Well, we are in week two of our message series, uh, Summer in the Psalms, and throughout the month of July, we're spending some intentional time as a church family uh, going through the third book of Psalms, which includes Psalm 73 uh, through Psalm 89. And if you remember back to last week's message, uh, I talked about how it was the early Jewish rabbis who chose to divide the Psalms into five different books, and they did this in order to reflect the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Each book within the Psalms uh, contains key words and key themes that point us back to the book in which they reflect. So you have Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And for this series, uh, we're reading and studying the Psalms using the book method. So we're going book one, book two, book three. We're in the third year that we've done this, so this is book three. And I would say that if you want to learn a little bit more about the Psalms as a whole, or you want to learn about other methods that you can use to read and study the Psalms, um, go back and listen to at least the first half of last week's message. Uh, We spent some time teaching on the Psalms as a whole. Well, book three reflects the Old Testament book of Leviticus with one of the key themes uh, being sanctuary, or worship. We saw this very clearly last week in Psalm 73 when Asaph wrestled with the question, why do good things seem to happen to bad people? Now, we've kind of worded that question in our language today. He would say, you know, why do the righteous seem to suffer while the unrighteous or the ungodly seem to prosper? I think that's a question that we've all wrestled with at one point or another. We look out on the scope of the world and we say, you know, why do the people that don't know the Lord and that don't follow Jesus, why do they seem to be doing so well and yet Christians seem to suffer so much? Well, Asaph found his answer to the, this dilemma he had when he went into the sanctuary and worshiped God. And we talked about how it's when he drew near to God that he learned how to see the world from God's perspective. I would say much of the same thing happens today. When we gather together as a church family on Sunday mornings, we are reminded about the character and the nature of God. We're reminded about who we were created to be in Christ. It's when he drew near to God that he learned how to see things from God's perspective. And we learned that the wicked or the ungodly, yes, they may get some good things in this life, uh, but the faithful get God himself. The faithful get God himself. And friends, the greatest gift that we have been given is a relationship with God. Amen? That's enough. Well, today we're going to continue our series by looking at Psalm 75. And uh, you may be wondering, well, why did you skip Psalm 74? And it's because we're only in this series for four weeks. And that's why you have your Psalms reading guide. You can go through and read all of the Psalms. But this is another Psalm that is attributed to Asaph. And it clearly highlights this theme of worship. In fact, when I read this and, and then I go and read other commentaries, I think it's um, pretty clear that uh, this Psalm gives us a glimpse into a worship service that was focused on thankfulness and, and gratitude for who God is and what he had done in the lives of his people, especially during a very difficult season. So today, we are in a worship service together, but we're going to take a peek and get a glimpse at a worship service that would have happened a few thousand years ago. And uh, uh, I think this service is a reminder to all of us 
that when everything in the world seems to be going wrong, and the key word there is seems, uh, that God is able to make things right. That's what we're going to learn about today. So I'm going to read this psalm in its entirety, and then we'll go back and unpack what we read, and we'll do so verse by verse today. Uh, I'll I'll provide some application throughout the message, um, but most of the application will come towards the end of the sermon today. So uh, if you're able to, at this time, I'd like to invite you to stand with me, and I'm going to read Psalm 75 aloud. So a psalm of Asaph, this is what we read. We praise you, God. We praise you, for your name is near. People tell of your wonderful deeds. You say, I choose the appointed time. It is I who judge with equity. When the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold its pillars firm. To the arrogant, I say, boast no more. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift your horns against heaven. Do not speak so defiantly. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. As for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob who says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us together today. And as we talk about this uh, overarching truth about how when everything in the world seems to be going wrong, that you are able to make things right, that, Lord, you are always good, I pray that uh, we would not just be hearers of the word today, but, Lord, this would move from our heads to our heart. Um, that it would be real for us. Um, Holy Spirit, we know that you are a teacher, and I ask today that you would help me step out of the way, and it's your word uh, that people take with them. I thank you for the time that we have together. I pray that it's for, uh, for your glory and for the good of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So you may have noticed Psalm 75 is a shorter psalm. It's a psalm of trust. And if you like to write in your Bible, that's what you can write at the top of the page. Psalm 75 is a psalm of trust. And this psalm follows the gut-wrenching events that we read about in Psalm 74. Now, since I'm not preaching on Psalm 74, you may need to go back and reread this psalm because it's very important in helping us understand uh, what we're going to talk about today. Psalm 74 uh, depicts a terrible event. It's the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians around 586 B.C. And so Psalm 75 is Asaph uh, praising God and choosing to trust God. Here it is, in the midst of a tragedy. God's people were going through the worst possible time. And, And here's Asaph, this worship leader, this temple musician, choosing to praise God, choosing to trust God, and deciding to point God's people to God. He expressed his confidence that when everything seemed to be going wrong, that God is able, he's more than able to make things right. And not only is God able to make things right, but he will also judge the world justly. So the Babylonians had come in, they had unjustly destroyed the temple, and carried away many of God's people with them into uh, captivity. 
essentially bringing an end to the nation during that time. So it's in light of all of this. Asaph chose to respond with a song, with worship. I think music has a way of moving us, doesn't it? And, and I would say in the church, you know, I've served at two other churches full-time, and uh, it, it's kind of the same. I think people are people no matter where you go, whether it's McAllister, Oklahoma, or uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, or, or right here in Wisconsin. I, I think uh, in the church, because we all love music, we tend to have an opinion about it. And this amazing gift that God's given us that was uh, meant to be very worshipful and to point us back to Him, uh, sometimes we tend to make it about ourselves. We tend to make it about our wants and our desires, what, what we like. And, uh, and we see none of that in stories like this. You, you don't see people who are going through this tragedy come into the sanctuary and say, you know what, I, I think i got to have this song in this way today. Or, you know, you played that song, but I just don't really think that was a good one today. No, they were, they were just worshipful. It was really not as much about the song as it was about their heart, about trusting God, following God with their lives. And that would be an encouragement, like a side note that I have for all of us today. It's really not so much about the words that we say and we sing as much as it is about our heart, the motives of our heart. You know, so why are you here to worship today? It's a good question to ask yourself. So he expressed his confidence here that even when everything seemed to be going wrong, God was able to make things right In light of all of this, he chose to sing, he chose to worship, uh, reminding those who participated in this service and those who would read these words many years later, including us, about God's unchanging character, his unchanging nature, and the love that God has for his people. And so let's break this down a little bit, and I'll I'll help you apply this to your life. Verse 1, this is what we read. Uh, He starts out, he says, We praise you, God, we praise you, for your name is near People tell of your wonderful deeds. This is a very important verse. So if we take into consideration the context, again, of these words, uh, this is huge. Uh, The temple having been destroyed, it would have seemed like God's presence was gone. Now we know today um, that God's presence does not dwell in a building, but he dwells in our heart. He dwells in in our lives. Right? Believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, this was different uh, in Old Testament times. They were under the Old Covenant, the First Covenant. And um, the common belief of the people was that God's presence was, was just going to be in this one location. If the temple was destroyed, if the temple was gone, that must mean that God was also gone. But that's not the truth. The temple being destroyed didn't mean that God's presence was gone. So Asaph was able to keep worshiping and reminding the people that God was, in fact, near. Even though the temple was gone, he believed that God was with his people. He said, for your name is near. And not only was God still with his people, but they were also able to continue celebrating all that God had done in their lives in the past. If you see this last part of this verse, it says, people tell of your wonderful deeds. That's past tense. These are the things that God has done in the past. And and that's a great reminder for us today that a key part of dealing with suffering and tragedy is to remember the goodness of God and what God has done for you in the past. That's a key part of dealing with the suffering and tragedies that, that we experience in this life. Thinking about all that God has done, uh, sharing with others about all that God has done, uh, worshiping God for who he is and for what he's done, 
This has been a mark of God's people for generations. So a couple of important questions for you this morning. Have you taken the time to honestly and sincerely thank God lately for who he is and for what he's done in your life? Have you done that? And then, have you taken the time to share that with others? Uh, Because, friends, good news deserves to be shared, does it not? If God has been so good in your life, why would we keep that to ourselves? Why wouldn't we share that with other people who also need that? Good news deserves to be shared. Well, after these words of thanksgiving and praise, and there's actually a change in voice from the psalmist speaking. He says, we praise you. So this is plural. It's kind of collective here. Uh, to the Lord himself speaking. So we have this change of voice from Asaph uh, to the Lord himself speaking. And this is really God's declaration that he will, in fact, judge the world justly and how there will come a time when all will be made Right. This is an incredible promise. We see in verses 2 through 5, he says, You say, uh, and again, this is God speaking, I choose the appointed time. It is I who judge with equity. When the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold its pillars firm. To the arrogant I say, boast no more. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift your horns against heaven. Do not speak so defiantly. So I I love the promise here in verse 3. He says, when the earth and all its people quake, when there's suffering, when there's tragedy, right? When life does not seem to be going well, the promise here is God is the one who holds its pillars firm. You know, the ancient understanding of the world was that uh, the world rested on pillars, Underneath the earth was water because if you dug deep enough, you would eventually hit water. Water came up from the earth in the form of springs. And so it was understood that the earth stood on on pillars. And so God is declaring here, it's a a metaphor but an amazing truth, that I am the one who holds things firm. Even when the world seems to be unstable, even when things seem to be in shambles, um, God says, when everyone quakes, the earth and all its people, it is I who hold its pillars firm. This is a, a promise, not only about God's provision, but um, also of his sovereignty. That God's plans, his purposes will not be thwarted. God is the one who holds the world, who holds its pillars firm. Now, one of the primary metaphors in this psalm, and there are several, um, is that of a horn, a horn. We read in verses 4 and 5, he says, To the arrogant I say, boast no more. To the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift your horns against heaven. Do not speak so defiantly. So we don't talk this way today. So what, what, is this, what does this mean? Do not lift up your horns. Well, throughout the Old Testament, uh, the horn is used as a symbol of strength. And this makes a lot of sense when we stop and think about it. Uh, Horns are the part of a bull or a ram that's used to demonstrate uh, strength, to inflict damage. If you come from Oklahoma, you might say, this is the business end of the animal, right? You don't want to be on the business end of, of the animal in front of the horns. That's a bad place to be. So in this psalm, if you connect the dots, God is saying to the arrogant, he's saying, don't Don't boast. And to the wicked, don't lift up your horns. Don't speak defiantly because God is a righteous judge. Even when the arrogant and the wicked think that they're strong, right? Even when they lift their horns, even uh, when they do this, uh, here's the truth. God is stronger still. 
God is stronger still. What an encouragement this would have been for God's people who were present in this worship service because they were seeing this happen all around them. They were being taken into captivity. Their temple was destroyed. The, the arrogant, the uh, wicked, they were lifting their horns against heaven. God says, don't, don't do that because I am greater still. I am stronger still. And this truth, friends, never changes. It hasn't changed and it never will. Psalm 75, verses 6 through 8, we continue. Uh, he says, uh, no one, and here the voice is changing back from God speaking to Asaph speaking again. He says, no one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. In the hands of the Lord is a cup. This cup is full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. So another primary metaphor in this psalm is the idea of God lifting up and God bringing down. Again, a picture of God's sovereignty. He's the one who lifts up. He's the one who brings down. Uh, the truth here is that God is in control, that God is the great equalizer. When everything in the world seems to be going wrong, God is able to make things right. He has a plan, and he has a purpose for his people. This is a plan that began long before the time of creation. And there's nothing that anyone can do about it. <laughs> we serve an awesome God. Amen? Amen. Verse 8 says, In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. So again, another metaphor we have here is that of a cup. Uh, it's, it's mentioned here representing God's divine wrath and judgment against those who choose to live their lives apart from him. And this is describing the wicked. In our language today, we would say it's describing the lost, people that are separated from God, that don't know the Lord, that need to know the Lord. God wants to know them. And we see this in several places uh, throughout the Old Testament, but specifically in the Psalms. I think there's a reason for that. Now, how, do, how does this connect with life today? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Because if we jump to the New Testament, we know, we know what's happened. We know the end of the story. We know that on the cross, uh, Jesus embraced God's will and actually drank this cup on our behalf, uh, bearing the full, uh, the full weight of sin. Jesus committed no sin, yet he was willing to bear the weight of all of ours so that we could be forgiven and adopted into God's forever family. This cup of judgment is what Jesus drank. And so where God is a just judge, where he's a righteous judge, um, the Bible says there's also no condemnation for those who are in Christ, according to Romans 8 verse 1. So our sins were judged once and for all time on the cross. Aren't you grateful for that? This psalm ended uh, in the same way that it began, uh, with praise and this confident trust in the Lord. Uh, verses 9 and 10, Asaph, he, he writes, As for me, you know, the world may live one way, the world may choose to lift their horns to heaven, to live defiantly to God, but I'm going to I'm I'm choose uh, to live for God. He says, as for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob, who says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, and then the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. So God is the one who tears down. God is the one who lifts up. And the promise here is that the strength of the wicked, right, the, the horns of the wicked will be cut off by the Lord, 
and that the strength of the righteous will be lifted up. And that's because we find our strength in the Lord. It's not our strength, it's his. Where we are weak, God is strong. Even though Asaph had been an eyewitness to the uh, incredible injustice that had taken place uh, with the destruction of the temple, um, he was confident without a shadow of a doubt that he would see justice done by a just God, by a righteous God. And again, here's that reminder that when everything in the world seems to be going wrong, God is the one who can make things right. And he will. So what a worship service this must have been. I mean, we're only given a glimpse into what happened. We're given 10 verses, right? That's like someone getting 10 sentences from our time together this morning, all right? It wouldn't be a whole lot, but hopefully what they get would be rich. And what we have today is certainly rich with truth. See, even in the midst of a tragedy, God's people were able to come together and praise God for who he is, remembering all that he had done for them in the past and trusting that he would make things right in the future. And we know that God has, in fact, kept his promise. And he's done so by sending his one and only son who lived a perfect, sinless life, who was wrongly accused, beaten, crucified, and buried. But we know that after three days, Jesus was raised from the dead. And he defeated sin. He defeated Satan and he defeated death so that we can have the opportunity to be made right with God by grace through faith in Jesus. God's grace is is giving us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve any of that. But that's who God is. So I have four points for you today that I want to share with you. I think Psalm 75 provides a great example of what our worship services can and should look like today. And this will be more of the application. It's really a reminder to us of why we gather together each week. And these are going to go pretty quick. This is the kind of the end of the message today. But number one, if you're taking notes, we should begin our time with praise. We should begin our time with praise. Maybe you've wondered, why is the service structured in the way that it is. You know, we, we don't really have a liturgical service, meaning, you know, I say you need to stand at this point, sit at this point. We do some of that, but it's more of a free-flowing service. It changes from time to time, but I do think we should begin our time with praise. Um, that's the example that we're given in Scripture, Old Testament and New. Um, in his commentary on Psalm 75, Warren Wearsby reminds us that true worship, if you want to know what true worship is, he says, true worship uh, centers on the Lord and not on us our problems, or our felt needs. So true worship is centered on the Lord. It's all about God. It's not about us. Uh, Sunday morning really is an invitation to all uh, to come as you are, to come as you are, your, your hurts, uh, your habits, your hang-ups, all of these things, to come and to worship God for who he is. Even when you're going through a difficult season, I believe there's always something to be thankful for. There, there are many reasons for us to come together and to worship together. Like Asaph, we, we can say, we praise you, God. We praise you. For your name is near. And, and people tell of your wonderful deeds. We worship God because he's near in our lives. We worship God and we tell other people about the things that he's done. So we begin our time with praise when we do this. This is an important truth. Um, When we begin our time with praise, it may not change your circumstances. You need to understand that. 
but God will change your perspective. And we pray this, you know, just about every week, that we hope people come, you come as you are, but that you leave different than how you came, that you leave changed because of the word of God and the work of God in your life. And so your circumstances may not change when you walk out these doors today, but God can change your perspective. And friends, I think sometimes that's where the lessons of life is is most learned. Worship helps us to see the world through the lens of Scripture and to have the opportunity to to say, Lord, I'm going to recommit my life to you today. I'm going to recommit this role that you've given me as a husband, as a, as a father, as a, as, a, as a pastor, as a friend, I'm going to recommit myself to you today. And so it's important that we begin our time together with praise. Number two, um, and I love this truth, that you actively participate in the message. You actively participate in the message. So we go back to Psalm 75. You know, this particular message that Asaph gave, it had a word of encouragement uh, for believers, but it also had a word of warning for the lost. It included both of those. So it's the encouragement and the warning. And even though a sermon on Sunday morning is typically a monologue, meaning uh, there's not a whole lot of conversation that happens during this time, you as believers actively are involved in the message, and you're involved through the affirmation of what's being preached and the application of what's being preached. So you're affirming what is said, and you're applying what's said. It's also important for us to always test everything that we hear against the Word of God. First Thessalonians 5.21 says, but test everything that is said. Does it say test some of the things? No, it says test everything. And I'd be curious, this is more of a rhetorical question, but how many of you go home with your notes and you go back to God's word and you reread the passage and you test everything that is said against the word of God? You should do that. I want to encourage you to do that. So you actively participate in the message by testing everything that is said and by building your lives on the promises of God's word. And that leads us to number three. Um, We apply God's word to our lives. All right, that's something that should happen during this time together. We apply God's word to our lives. Uh, listen to what James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 says. But don't just listen to God's word, period. <laughs> don't just come on Sunday mornings and just listen to the word or kind of doze off in your seat, thinking about lunch. Don't just come with, with that mindset. He says, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Otherwise, you're you're just wasting your time. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. (laughs) But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, so God's word is what sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So, this is one of those verses that we, we pull this truth from that God always, always, always blesses obedience. God always blesses obedience. We see that if you, if you do what it says, you do what the word says, you don't forget what you've heard, God will bless you for doing that. Do you want to live a blessed life? I do. So I want to be obedient to God's word because I know that's where blessing is found. You know, it's something that people don't like to hear, but you know, I, I'll, I'll be counseling a couple or an individual, have, you know, struggling with work, a couple struggling in their marriage or what have you. It's all over the spectrum. But 
you know, it gets back to are you reading God's word? Are you beginning each day in prayer? Are you living obediently and faithfully to the word? Are you gathering with other believers? And, and typically what they find, they're like, you know, I just don't understand why my life is the way that it is. Um, but when you get down to it, it's, you find out where they're so disconnected from God and his word so disconnected and so disconnected from the church and they just go round and round. It's like, why is life the way it is? Why am I struggling in the way that, that I am? Not that life won't have struggles, but friends, I would rather struggle and be in God's presence than to not struggle and to not be in his presence. And, and so it comes back to this idea that we have to apply God's word to our lives. That's where blessing is found. One of my goals each week um, is to preach God's word accurately. And I, I'm human. Right? I, I'll make mistakes. That's why it's important that you test everything that you hear against the word. But that's one of my goals. I also have a goal to encourage you uh, every week to trust God more by believing his word, and by applying it to your lives. I want to help equip you to put your faith to work in the way that you live for Jesus. So it's important for us to listen to what God's word says and to remember it, but it's so much more important, friends, to do what it says, to live in obedience to the word. And I think it's safe to say we can actually measure the effectiveness of our time together each week by the effect that it has on the way we live out our faith. Are we making the most of this opportunity? I think we can measure the effectiveness of this time together by the way we live out our faith. So are you actively putting into action the things that you hear and that you learn on Sunday morning, what you read in God's word throughout the week? And then number four, we end our time with praise. We end our time with praise. Asaph's example in Psalm 75 is a great one. We begin our time with praise. We can worship God for who he is despite what's going on in our lives. And we end our time with praise. It's that reminder that there's always something to be grateful for when we come together each week. There's always something to be thankful for. So a couple of questions in closing. You know, have you decided ahead of time that you're going to gather with your church family uh, with an attitude of thankfulness and an attitude of gratitude, worshiping God for who he is and trusting that he's more than able to make things right? Or... Will you allow the troubles of this world to dictate the steps that you take? You know, I think God's people could have heard Asaph's encouragement in Psalm 75 and chosen to just be hearers of the word and just to go about life. And, you know, they, they went into captivity. They essentially lived as slaves for a while. But God's word was the rock. God's word was the foundation and I think on Sunday morning, we're, we're tempted to do the same. We're tempted to leave without really taking hold and allowing God's word to take root in our lives. So my prayer is that you would come to service each week with an attitude of gratitude. You know, gratitude is the opposite of complaining, by the way. That you'd come here with an attitude of gratitude, an attitude that's ready to worship God for his unchanging character and nature, for what he's done in your life. Despite what's going on in the world, when everything in the world seems to be in shambles, God is able to make things right. We stand on that truth. Amen.